Hello, beautiful soul. My guest today is AJ Prakash. AJ is a founder and CEO of Entry Level. AJ has a vision to break the unemployment cycle by 2030. And he's also a Forbes 30 under 30. In 2020, I took a trip to Singapore on a visa run from Bali. And it was there that I met AJ when I was staying at this hostel chain called Draper Startup House. What was supposed to be a brief chat about the startup I was working on at the time ended up turning into a four-hour chat involving Dinner and his friend. In our conversation, we caught up and spoke about his recent startup entry level, his vision for breaking the unemployment cycle, how to validate your startup idea as soon as possible, and how to stay sane and on point during your crazy journey. If you enjoyed this episode with AJ Prakash, please share it with someone who could use a little bit of a vibe boost. I'd also appreciate your thoughts on this episode at Stephen Choi at Twitter and Vibe on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. And let's get into this episode with AJ Prakash. Welcome to the Stephen Choi Show. How's the vibe? On this show, you'll get a glimpse into the raw, authentic, and deeper stories of pioneers, thought leaders, and everyday heroes who are serving the world with deep empathy and love. We'll guide you to find your higher sense of purpose and live a more fulfilling life. Get involved. Sweet, AJ, welcome to the Stephen Choi Show podcast, whatever you call it. How's the vibe? It's good, man. We're in, we're in lockdown. It's been interesting. Like my kitchen is maybe like, you know, 20, you know, five meters away from where I'm working. So like, you know, people, someone's cooking. So like we're working here. Like, it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm very glad that I locked down with roommates. So otherwise it would have been super boring. At least there's other people that live. Wait, there. you're actually living with your co-founders or like what's the situation? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm a solo founder for this company, but my team is, uh, yeah, my team lives with me. And like we turned our living room into an office and then, yeah, that's how I get increased productivity from the team. <laughs> Just like constant vigilance and surveillance. <laughs> yeah, damn. But you've been down there for almost a year now. How long have you been there? Yeah, I think I came back last um, last March is when I came back. Uh, so a bit more, a bit over a year. Yeah, I think when COVID first started, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be stuck in Singapore. I'm gonna fly back here quickly. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show because uh, I mean, we met almost two years ago now, more than two years ago. Can't remember. Like in uh, Singapore, uh, you're working for Draper Startup House. I was. I was staying there for like one night or so. And then we like, I was, I set up a meeting with you and then we ended up, I, I ended up pitching by you. And then like, we ended up having dinner. And then like, I ended up, uh, you, 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 you started telling me your story about like, like raising from a ton of people during the money. And I was like, who is this guy? And then <laughs> I looked you up and you're like Forbes 30 and 30. And then it just like, man, this guy is like incredible. And um, yeah, you, you've always been kind of like on my mind in terms of like the list of people that I want to learn from and um, like the, the, the your newest, uh, latest endeavor entry level, solving unemployment, breaking the no employment, no job cycle. That's something that it's like, as soon as I read that title, that read that line, I was like, man, of course, someone needs to solve it. You know, that's some, that's the exact problem that like I ran into, like every single one thinks about it, but then it's just such a daunting problem to solve. So uh, yeah, I love to <clears throat> I love to kind of uh, dive in. I, I love I love for you to dive into that. Like, what I guess led you to uh, I guess start tackling this specific problem and um, your passion for education in general as well. 
So yeah, that's a really interesting question. Cause like I had this like epiphany in 2020, like deciding what I wanted to do with my life. And I think that was a really pivotal moment for me um, after like starting a couple of companies and like figuring out what was right for me. So I started um, teaching at the age of 16. So I was working as a tutor at Kumon um, in, in Sydney, <laughs> yeah. which is like, yeah. So I did that for a number of years. As soon as I graduated um, high school, I went straight to work for like a tutoring center here in Sydney was teaching like, you know, math and, and physics for like other year 12, like year 12 students. So like they were kind of my age and I was just teaching them classes of 20, 30 people. I just fell in love with education and teaching and there was something really powerful. Like I won't lie, the first, maybe like first couple of months working at that job, like I got really bad feedback. My bosses were like on my ass the entire time and like it just was really bad, but I was, I endeavored to like become a better teacher. And I love that experience and like just making that like market impact on someone and like changing their outlook on something or changing their like prospects. Um, I think it makes such a big difference. Mm. And then in university, I started a not-for-profit that was like, you know, reskilling engineers into new jobs. And I, re- I still remember the first email we got. The first workshop I did was like in second year uni. Um, I had three speakers come, including myself, and then two students rocked up. And I was like, man, this sucks. Like we got no traction yeah. But we did the workshop and one of the students, like the week after this emailed me, and she, she sent this entire paragraph that was just like, I did everything you said and I got a job within a few days. And I was like, man, that's crazy. Like that's crazy impact. And she's like, are you doing this again? I want to invite all my friends. The next time we had 30 people come and eventually like this, this not-for-profit in Sydney, I think we've helped about 6,000 engineers find jobs now um, oh after God. university. And so I love the work that we do. I went off and just started a few other businesses in different areas. And I think I just was experimenting on what I've wanted to do with my life. Um, and to be honest, most of the business I did like in trade in, in the beer industry and in, like so many different areas, which I, which I told you about, like I just didn't really have a passion for, like it just wasn't, there was nothing beyond money there. And I think like 2020 was a good time because like, you know, it gave me a lot of time to think because we were on lockdown and like wasn't working anywhere. I was just sort of sitting, staring at a wall. And I was like, all right, what have I been doing the entire time unpaid? And it's always been education. Like mm. spent 10 years doing education and like was never about the money. And so like it comes back to like Ikigai like exercise and like Japanese thing where it's like, what are you good at? What does the world need? What's going to pay you? And um, for the other one, but there's another category as well. And like that intersection is what you should be doing. And like that just pointed to like, all right, reskill the world. Like that's, that's what I should be doing. Mm. Um, and I think finding someone employment or like helping them with the job is such a huge impact you can make to someone because like it's such a big part of your life. You spend most of your week working, right? Yeah. And so you should enjoy what you do. And so I think when we help people do that, it's really powerful. And so I basically um, was, I, I think, 2020, 2019, like with COVID and everything, it just accelerated the time frame for like unemployment. Um, so we saw like 195 million jobs just disappear off the face of the planet. Like they don't exist anymore. And I was pitching for this whole 2030, like we need to reskill people for 2030, but it's just accelerated so quickly. Yeah. And so I was like, this is the time. Like I need to mm-hmm. jump on it right now because this is the peak of unemployment. It's going to get worse from here. And like, you know, I think this is a time where we're going to get people who believe in our mission and vision and back us and like we'll get traction. And so kicked off uh, November 2020, like um, so less than a year ago, and we raised money from Blackbird and then we just started working on it. And yeah, we, we ended up getting, we launched in February, 
um, after like maybe several experiments. And this is something we talked about off, off the pod, which yeah. is just like, you got to throw darts and see what works. And like mm-hmm. this one dart we threw in February, which, which was around like a 30 day reskilling engine, massively viral. We got 7,000 signups in seven days or something like that. Some insane viral coefficient. And we're like, oh, cool. Okay. We're like doing something right. Mm-hmm. And so we kept iterating on it. Now we've had tens of thousands of people go through our programs. Uh, like we have super high NPS at scale. Like, you know, we have thousands of people who go through each cohort each month. And we still have NPS over 70, which is like ridiculously high. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it, we're trying to do a freemium model. So we keep it free for most people. But if you want to pay for certi- certifications and things like that, you can um, pay for that. And so right now we're profitable on those pipelines. So like cost of acquisition is lower than like uh, monetization at the end, which is awesome. Um, and so, yeah, we're looking to scale that out and, and mm. get to the next phase and actually hit that 1 billion goal. So like, I think... Unlike other companies that have a vision and mission statement, like ours is very quantifiable. Like we're very mm. serious about hitting that 1 billion person. Mm. So like January 1st, 2030, I want that billionth person to come through our program. Like that's the goal and we're tracking towards that. That's yeah. sick. That's awesome. That's super admirable. Talk a little bit about uh, uh, what it was like to conceive an idea to actually like form a team and then like start scaling. Because that's that's the part that I think most people just have no idea about. And like, you know, just on the surface, when I hear your story, it's like everything just went super well from the get-go. But um, yeah, like it's, it's, I mean, you have to run your cohort, you have to organize this program, you have to like reach out to people, you have to measure things and, you know, like experiment, build a team and everything. So like what, what, what did that process, process look like actually? Yeah, so I think a lot of people don't talk about the failures. Like, you know, even though one of our darts succeeded, there were so many darts that missed the board altogether. Like, that period between November and February, clearly we were doing other stuff. Like, we weren't doing this reskilling program, right? So we're trying, like, um, this deep tech consultancy. We tried an enterprise solution. Um, we were working on several things like that. We were trying no-code um, recruitment. Like, we built a SaaS platform for that. That didn't really pan out. Like, so we were trying different things. And I think... Mm-hmm. Um, my advice to anyone who's looking to start is there's a really interesting mental model or framework. It's just like, all right, take your 10 year goals and then think about how you would do it tomorrow. Mm. Like that's it. And it's just like such an interesting thing. Like obviously if your 10 year goal is to become a billionaire, like it's probably impossible for you to do it tomorrow. Mm. But I just think thinking that way can like really stretch your mind and like make certain things that you thought were impossible, possible. And so the whole point is like you want to prove and get validation with as little effort and as uh, a little time as possible, mm-hmm. right? So the the framework, and I was just doing a sort of thing with, with founders right before this, and I was just saying, I want you to get to product market fit or some sort of validation in one hour. That's like, that's all the time I'm giving you. Think about what you could do to make it happen in an hour, mm-hmm. right? Like whether that do pre-sales, whether that's like make a deck and then email a hundred people you don't get mm-hmm. them to put money in your bank account, like transfer you money for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want validation as quickly as possible. Don't worry about a team. Don't worry about building any of those things. Those things will come. Like if you mm-hmm. have sales and validation, everything else will work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the main thing that people are missing and, and like not prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you a very specific example, like, one of the things that did really well, like I did this at Draper and, um, you know, I wanted to validate this program we were doing, which is called the Engineers Power Up Program. 
the idea was to give engineers an experience where they get to network and build a, like they would essentially start a company, but like they learn engineering skills as they do that. So they'd build a prototype and show it off to employers. Um, and they learn a bunch of skills. They learn Python, Arduino, whatever else they need to do. And I was like, you know what, let me try this. And so I got a couple of companies to just say, yep, we'll like help you out with this. I made a quick PDF um, in about 30 minutes on Canva. I posted on our Facebook group and I said, hey, it's $3,000, but you put $250 deposit and like you can secure a position. And we sold out in three days. Like we made a hundred grand, right? A PDF, right? Of a PDF, right? And obviously that wasn't a hundred grand profit. Like it was probably like 10, 20 grand profit or something like that. Mm. But the point is, you can test things very, very quickly before you go build this thing. Like I was not going to build anything unless we had that like confirmation that yes, like we have this many people interested, right? Mm. And so how much time did it take me? Like literally 45 minutes. Like it was a PDF and I posted in a Facebook group. Like anyone can do that. And I think... Yes, like some people are going to come back to me and be like, oh, I want to do an enterprise tech solution. I want to do like XYZ. Like, sure, this might not be the exact framework for you, but I just think thinking this way, like maybe enterprise tech, it's like, who, like, can you email 10 head of something in a company and just say, hey, can we chat? Like, you've, you've moved the needle significantly just by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's my advice. Don't think about the team, don't think about any of that. Just one hour. That's, that's how long you have to execute. That's how much I'm giving you. Man, I love that so much. No one has ever told me anything like that. But uh, as soon as you told me, I, my, I started thinking, okay, we, we still have a few assumptions that we want to prove. Uh, we've got a few hypotheses we want to validate. And uh, what can we do to accelerate that process of validating it within one hour? I, I love that. Uh, that makes so much yeah, sense. Yeah, and I think just like doing the brainstorm with your co-founder, for example, like, you know, that maybe just set out like, cool, this is what we want to do in three months. And it'd be like, cool, we'll have this here. Let's move this aside. Yeah. All right, now let's do one week. What are we going to do in one week? And then you move that aside and say, cool, one day, yeah. one hour, and then just get to like the really granular stuff you can do right now. And I think yeah. that's just like a really interesting framework to use. Mm. Um, it could really change the, the outlook of how you do things. Mm. Gotcha. So you validated um, entry level. And um, like, what are, what are the processes after you validated your first set of assumptions? Um, what did the process look like? Um, did you start kind of building your team or... Or were you testing out a couple more uh, assumptions? What makes the process? So, uh, yeah, I, I think the thing is, like 7,000 signups, unfortunately, is a vanity metric, right? Like, I can't tell you that that's a business. Like, we've got 7,000 signups. It doesn't really mean anything because we were doing free reskilling programs. Um, and so, like, it was a little bit of a gamble. And it's not the way I really usually like to do things, like, you know, one of the things that frustrated me was the fact that I couldn't see the, the monetization model up front. Like we had to wait a little bit, but, um, yeah, we basically, once I got the signups and I was like, cool, this is like conviction. I have conviction that something's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to monetize exactly, but like, we'll figure that out. Let's make a program that's super valuable and creates outcomes for people. Right. Let's do that first. And so that's the first assumption or like building the product. So I built a team around that. Um, and so you just hire around your skill set. So for me, I'm like good at building products and programs and things like that. Um, I wanted some engineers on the team to like speed up some of the development process. Um, and then I wanted like help on the operation side because I feel like there are people who are a bit more like um, pragmatic than I am. Like I'm very like up in the air, like dreaming and, you know, building things really quickly. But when it comes to like actually maintaining a system, I'm not really the best person. Like I'm zero to one. 
Like I'm not one, two, three, four, five. Like that's mm. my brain doesn't work that way. Um, and so like I hired someone to do that side of things. And so I think it's like hiring around yourself, like where your weaknesses are. And, and also to be honest, like if you have the money, what you don't like doing, because, um, you know, a lot of founders get into this like pretense of like, Oh, you know, I have to do this. I have to do X, but like often more often than not, if you do stuff you don't like to do, you'll probably do it poorly. You'll probably rush it. Um, and if you can find someone else to do it, like it's worth the effort. Yeah. Um, but it really depends like where you're at in terms of like how much bandwidth, how much money do you have, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that, that's how we went ahead and did it. The assumptions we needed to prove is like, all right, cool, let's make a really cool program. So NPS was a really good thing for us to identify. Are we doing it well? First program was 46, which was like pretty good for education. Um, like just from doing other programs, like 30 to 40 is pretty good. Our most recent one with almost 20 times the number of people through the cohort got a 71 NPS, which we're ecstatic about, which is That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then now we've been able to monetize off the premium model, uh, which is another assumption we just recently tested. Mm. And we only just recently just got to the point where our cost of acquisition is lower than our, um, you know, end revenue, which is like an awesome set for us. So that like, you know, you, like, like that proves that assumption that yes, this, this pipeline itself can be profitable. Um, and so, yeah, we're just like sort of, eventually proving out more and more things as we go. Mm. Um, and yeah, but I will caveat this entire thing that I think it's a very different kind of business. Ideally, I'd like to validate upfront. Um, the kind of validation we went for was pre signups, which is like a bit, not as high as a validation point as like pre sales in my yeah. opinion. But, mm. you know, I, I do think that like, 7,000 signups in seven days, I think that's enough for you to have enough conviction to be like, yeah, there's something here. Like, I don't know yeah. what it is, but there's something here. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, at that point, it comes down to your intuition, right? Like your gut feeling type of thing. Yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So what's a typical student experience? How is your program different than another education platform or solution, what they offer? That's a good question. So I think there's, there's two spectrums. One is like the full, like, um, online education program that's like, you know, fully asynchronous. You do it whenever you want, like a Udemy or Coursera or like, you know, um, any of those sort of providers. Um, and you can kind of liken that to a book, right? Some people buy the book. They may read the entire book. They may read some chapters. They may just read it, like leave it on their shelf and be like, yeah, I bought that um, as like a, you know, a status thing. Um, and so you get completion rates like, you know, three, 5%. I don't want to speak on their behalf, but like, yeah, you know, that's crazy. Generally what you see for these like other providers. Yeah. Um, and then you have like the $10,000 courses or like even the, you know, like Maven has like, you know, $1,000, $2,000 courses, right? So they're pretty expensive, yeah. but you do get higher completion rates, you know, 70 to 80%. And we do see a correlation between completion rates and like amount of you pay for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, cool. How do we go low cost like Udemy, but then get super high completion rates? Um, mm -hmm. So what we've done is um, created other kinds of accountability and rails for education. So I think with education, information is ubiquitous. Like if you wanted to become a product manager, all the information is online. Like you can Google it, you can YouTube it, it's all there. Realistically, like you lack a bit of drive, you lack accountability, you lack the personal touch of a mentor, like all these other things. Um, and so we try to automate 99% of that and create that in like a sort of automated experience. So we... You come into the program, we drip feed the content like every couple of days. So it feels like you're in a live, like stimulated environment. We put you in a team of 30 people. So you're like in a, in a classroom where you're peer-to-peer -peer learning. Um, other people are teaching you. We have like badges where 
if the more experienced people teach the less experienced people, we give them extra badges, like leadership badges and stuff. Mm. Um, and we've just gamified the entire thing. So it's very focused around cohort and peer-to-peer -peer learning. Mm. And with that, we can get anywhere from 20 to 40% completion rates, which is like much, much higher. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's the main difference. Like I think um, compared to say the, um, you know, fully online courses that like, you know, asynchronous, we have cohorts and peer-to-peer -peer learning and like this communi community aspect of things that's really mm -hmm. important. And then compared to these like thousand dollar high cost programs, like we can handle really high volume. So mm -hmm. like our last cohort is 6,000 people wow. right, in a month. Right. And then like we can handle that volume and still charge a really low cost because we can handle that volume. And that entire 6,000 person cohort was handled by half a person. Right. Um, so it wasn't us coming in, like helping people out or anything. It was very, very automated. Um, mm -hmm. and, and very soon I want to get rid of that half a person. So it'd just be like, you know, maybe like one tenth of a person for every 6,000 people that just makes this entire thing really scalable. Right. Mm. That is crazy. So you've got 6,000 people in one cohort in one month and everything is semi-automated. Like what does the, what does a typical student experience look like? So if I sign up for one of the courses, um, do I get to meet with others? Like, is there, is there a Slack? Is there like a weekly video call? Like, what is that? Like what yeah. is our typical experience? So we want to build out some of these video call functionalities, but for now it's like you get added to a group you get added to a team of 30 people. We ask you to introduce yourselves and like, you get to know the people on your team. And then like, like, you know, day one, we'll send you a module to work on. And then you can ask your team if you have questions. And then, you know, day three, we send you another module. And they, you have submissions to work on and assignments. Mm. Um, and by the end of the process, the whole point is to, for you to build a portfolio. Because like the best way to show off your experience to an employer without any experience is to build a side project or a pro, like some sort of portfolio. So mm. our growth marketing students, they launch an e-commerce store. They literally launch something from scratch and show that off that they've grown it. Okay. Uh, product managers will work on like roadmaps and like, you know, uh, different sort of plans and um, things like that. The data analysis people will like, get a problem statement, get a data set, and then create a data visualization and like a report on like, for example, why, why are lockdowns not effective for COVID-19, you know, or why are they effective? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really cool thing that you show your employee and be like, yeah, this is what I've done. Like I've mm -hmm. learned these skills and I've actually applied it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the main point of like the programs that we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that, man. Um, yeah. So you've got that, you've got a digital marketing course. Um, how many courses you've got right now? And what are your plans for like different kinds of courses in the future? Yeah. So we have product management, data analysis, and growth marketing. So three. Mm -hmm. We're currently trialing a new one called Venture Capital Analyst. We did it before it got traction, but it was like a very small fraction of the traction that we got for other programs. So we just mm -hmm. decided to like leave it alone for now. But then I've got a lot of bunch of messages like independently saying, Hey, when's venture capital coming back? And I was like, okay, let me try and get this going. So I'm going to do like an expression of interest probably like tonight or next week. Um, mm. and just sort of see how that goes. If it goes well, then we'll launch it in October. Mm. Um, but the goal is to get to 25 to 30, um, maybe even 50 programs by the end of next year. Like we want to go, we want to rapidly horizontally scale, um, mm. this thing. Gotcha. And, um, I guess in order to get that exposure that you're looking for, is it mostly going to be through some type of paid ads or is it, is it going to be a combination of like organic awareness and paid ads and some type of PR and all that stuff? Very curious. About yeah. That. So I think, 
Um, I don't know about PR, but but sixty percent of our people are referred in. So a huge majority of people are like actually referred into the program rather than actually like finding us through other means. Um, what we find is as soon as a cohort ends, like we basically get a spike of like you know two to five thousand people sign up the next day. Like our net promoters are actually net promoters, which is a really powerful thing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we do paid ads as well, and that will probably become more part of our strategy next year. Um, and we've been pretty good with our ads. Like, uh, we are pretty focused on Facebook cause the other channels don't give us the right, um, cost per acquisition. Like we're able to get pretty low, uh, CPA, which is awesome. Like we get like, you know, 15 to 50 cents, yeah. um, per conversion, which is yeah. like great. Um, and so the unit economics works really well in our favor. Um, a big part of like our focus right now is like, we want to focus on emerging markets because like those are the people that actually need the training. Mm. Um, and so like, you know, we were seeing like amazing talent coming from Nigeria, from India and countries like that, which has been like really exciting for us because not only can we convert them at a really low cost, um, they're really like, they're really excited about the program. Mm. Um, and they actually do have propensity to spend money on, on education as well, provided that we like convey the value. And so, um, you know, we convert them from, from, you know, up to say 60 cents. And then like, you know, we can charge anywhere from five to a hundred dollars uh, per student. So it works in our favor in that regard, but we can still maintain low costs. Like, I, I don't think, I don't want to speak for next year, but like the idea is to keep it sub 100, sub $200. Like, yeah. And then for the most people, yeah, uh, for them to be able to come at a free or like, you know, one to $5 of the range. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that, that's super fascinating. And um, as the CEO of your startup, um, what are you responsible for? Like, what are like what are the areas that um, you are directly involved in? And you know, like what like what are your responsibilities? And like what actually fires you up? Man, that's a hard question. I don't even know what I do half the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you know, um, what is it? It's like six p.m. now. Like, I, I feel like the entire day just like vanishes, and I don't even know what I worked on. Um, and I think the interesting thing is like when you're a CEO or even in a position where you have high context switching, where yeah. one moment you're looking at investor reports, the next moment, like one of your engineers asks a question and then you like context switch to that. Sometimes you don't even get anything done or it feels like you get nothing done the entire day. Cause you've just been like looking at different stuff. Yeah. Um, and you never really got to do any deep work. And so I think that can be difficult. So a lot of what I do is like, you know, there's a split between management. Like I'm obviously like looking over things for my team. Like I'm trying to be the final set of eyes before things go out to the public, especially since we're like a small team. So reviewing emails, reviewing products, reviewing things like that. Um, I spend a lot of time, like I, I do deep work around like say the landing pages and stuff. Like I'm building myself most mm-hmm. of the time. Uh, marketing campaigns, like designing and launching them myself. Um at the moment, a lot of investor meetings because we're like deep in the raise at the moment. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty big mixture. I would say like there's a good percentage of people just a uh, percentage of time on meetings. Um, and then there's like ops and stuff like that. And then the rest, I think at an early stage, is just going to be around deep work around mm. like, you know, product. Um, and the other thing is as a CEO, you generally have your thing. Like my thing is generally around growth and product. Um, that's what I like to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you may be this type of CEO that's really into like, you know, meeting with new business partners and trying to make things happen and trying to sell things. Mm-hmm. Or you could be like a developer 
Like, I, I think you always have like that little thing that you focus on as well as yeah. your like day to day CEO thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's where I sort of play. Mm. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, we're in a similar position, I guess, just from the perspective of like leading an organization. It's just like, you know, it, your answer automatically makes me think, okay, like, what is my, like, what am I really good at? Like, what, because when you, when you talk about design, like, you know, marketing and everything, it was like, okay, like, I can do this, I cannot do this, you know? So, so it's, it's interesting to think about like what's what's like CEO skill sets, you know, um, and um, like how 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 their skill set kind of like fit in with like the rest of the organization. Um, yeah, it's so different. Like you just meet so many different kinds of CEOs, but I feel like every CEO has a thing. Hmm. Like you need that thing. Like it could be whatever. You could be the smartest person in the room, and that could be mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. It could be that you're super charismatic. That could be a mm-hmm. thing. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things I try to do is, is seem as like, well, not seem, but try to be as authentic and as genuine as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a thing. Um, so I think there's like different things that you can do, but I feel like every CEO just has that special thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you. you may not realize it initially, but eventually yeah. you, you'll figure it out and you should leverage it as much as mm-hmm. possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, good stuff. And uh, in terms of uh, building out your team, like, are they mostly in Australia or Sydney? Like, do you have any plans to, is, or do you, do you have any plans to just kind of build out your team remotely? Or how are you thinking about this? So right now we're very Australia-centric as a team. And like, I'm still not sure how I feel about remote work and like how we're going to do it. Like, I know as an organization, we're almost promoting it. But at the same time, like, I like working in person. Like I like it. I like the vibe of like just being able to brainstorm and like tap someone on the shoulder and like do that kind of stuff. And I've talked yeah. to other founders as well. And it's very like different views on it. Like, you know, how they feel about it. It's like some startups have just said, no, nah, we're going to do local hires only. Like where that's yeah. our culture and we're going to stick to it. Yeah. Um, I think we're still in the formative, like formative months and years. So we're still yeah. figuring out what we want as the company and then like now it's just not not just me either so i'm talking to my team and like what do they want mm-hmm. what do they like um right now we're like four of us in sydney one of us in melbourne and that one's going to stay in melbourne so we're already somewhat remote and so yeah. potentially we may just stick to that or maybe we focus on australia but interstate is fine because they can fly in whenever they need and we can do team things when needed yeah um so yeah, I don't have a I don't have an answer for you. We're still learning and then figuring out what we like as an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, because I also understand that like what I like is not necessarily what the org likes, and I don't want to be the only voice deciding what what happens. Mm. Yeah, that's something that uh, I've been thinking about recently as well. Like you know, I've I'm working from this office in Sweden, and uh, it's like the first time we've ever had an office, and uh, my co-founder sitting right next to me. And it's just like, yeah. our productivity is out of control. It's like so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then it's like, if I'm, if I'm an employee working for another company, like my friend is currently going through some interviews and he's like, he's only taking remote positions. And I was like, yeah, like it, it makes perfect sense. You know, like you want that freedom, like, especially if you have family, like why wouldn't you want to like be closer to your, to your children, to your partner, whoever. Right. Um, so it's, it's like, it'd be su- super interesting to, to see how organizations kind of like balance things out from that perspective. Yeah. I think to be super honest, like as a founder, I prefer in person as an employee, I prefer remote, like yeah. <laughs> just straight up. Yeah. Um, but that's why I said like, it, it, I can't let my, what I want to be like the, the main driving factor for what we do as a company. Right. That's just not yeah. fair. 
yeah. especially if like I'm dismissing amazing talent just because they don't want to come in. And it's like, mm. all right, well, that's not a good reason to like not hire someone just because yeah. I feel that I want to hang out with them or like, mm. you know? yeah, gotcha. What's uh, what's Australia like in terms of uh, startup ecosystem? Like, I've never been there in Australia. Uh, number one, and uh, I mean, when I met you for the first time, like around the time I started meeting a lot of Australian founders, and um, yeah, yeah like- well, we're all in Singapore. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I feel like it's really heated up recently. I feel like a lot of stuff is happening recently. I don't know why um, it's just all of a sudden started popping up, but I've started meeting some amazing founders here. But, um, you know, I will say like five, six years ago, I didn't really think it was happening that much. Like there wasn't too much happening. Um, And then all of a sudden now, like there's a lot of things happening. Um, In fact, like, you know, when I was in Singapore two to three years ago, like a lot of the Aussie founders were in Singapore, right? Because like better tax conditions yeah. like better um ecosystem for getting grants and like singapore was just more startup friendly in general mm-hmm. um, plus it was like a hub so you could go to other countries around really easily whereas australia is like by itself remote not super like startup friendly from like a government perspective and regulation perspective um and so i, I thought that was interesting but i think maybe like I, this is pure speculation but perhaps it was just people like me who just ran back to australia during covid and they're like you know what I'll set up shop here and then they just started companies, but I'm seeing a lot of cool stuff happening here. So um, I'm very happy that like, you know, we're starting to see a lot more traction, a lot of cool companies coming through accelerators and stuff. And Mm. um, yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta make my way there someday. For sure, man. Come crash with me. Welcome anytime. Super, super down, super down. Yeah. What's uh, how do you, how do you balance yourself out, man? Like uh, what is, um, or, or do you not do that at all? Like, I mean, we're, we're on a similar boat. Like I was having a, I was having a chat with, with a friend the other day and then um, he asked me the same question. I'm like, I mean, I, I do a lot of like random stuff, but like everything leads back to like what I'm working on. So I'm, I'm curious, um, like, do you like, do you have other hobbies and stuff like that? How do you balance? Yeah. Up? So I, I think balance for me has become a huge priority. Um, I think it started in, Beginning 2019, like I hit this point where like I was spending you know, 80 hours a week working and like I was, just, I gained so much weight. Like I think it was like, you know, maybe, what is it? Like maybe 17, 18 kilos heavier than I am now. Like, uh, you know, it just wow. wasn't a good time. And I just like looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, what's wrong with you, man? I have eye bags here and like, you know, just like super overweight. And like I got tired walking upstairs and like, it just really didn't like make me happy. And I just was unhappy the entire time. So then mm. 2019 rolled around beginning of then I was like, no, nah, I'm going to make a change. And so I started adding more balance, started adding like more, um, you know, things in place that I wasn't working weekends and things like that. And I got really good at it during Draper. Mm. Um, and now like I'm pretty disciplined in the sense that like maybe some weekends I'll work, but I try to really like stop myself from doing anything Saturday, Sunday. Mm. So like, you know, right. I was really into powerlifting last year. So was, um, really gunning for a over 200 kilo deadlift. And I managed to get to like 220, 230, which was awesome. And I was really psyched about that. Okay. I went full 180 opposite direction now. And I've started running more mm. and more. And like recently I just got a sub 35 minute 5k run. And I was like really stoked about that. So yeah. now I'm just becoming a full cardio bunny and like really into that. Um, what else? I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I haven't played recently, but like I'm super yeah. into D and D. 
I think that's that's helped me come out of my shell a little bit, to be honest, because mm-hmm. it like builds your charisma a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then recent, like, you know, last couple of years, I've been super into like trading cards and collectibles and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's my geeky side um, coming out. So that's me in a nutshell. Besides getting married in February, which is like taking Ooh, a lot of time in preparation. Wow. So that's exciting. Yeah. Congrats. That's exciting. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we're not in lockdown. But yeah, that's that's sort of me. Outside of what, how about you? What what are your hobbies? I haven't I haven't heard much about your hobbies. What are you up to? My hobbies besides traveling um, the world. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah traveling. Obviously, I'm really into like music, right? So going to festival, just like just getting out there and just exploring. Um, I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can I, see yeah. how I'm the guy indoors playing D and D and looking at these trading cards, and how you're the guy who goes to music festivals. That like. <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Um, Facebook just hit me with uh, like this happened eight years ago, right? And then it was like the first time I went to a music festival. And then it's crazy because it was like me, my co-founder George, um, who yeah. I never thought like it's just like a crazy that like looking back on it, it's like damn, like that was our both of our first festival. And then we went there and you know we did some drugs for the first time, and that's how we got like super like close as friends. And we we had this like whole personal development journey and. That was insane. And then our other friend Dylan was in the video and just like, damn, like it's crazy that we're actually going to be back in New York. And like, I never thought I'd be back there, you know? So yeah, so music festivals, I really enjoy um, like lifting as well. It's just like, there's something that's completely different from um, uh, working, you know? It just like gets you in a completely different um, mindset and zone. I really love that. And uh, yeah, man, just exploring the world. There's something very primal about lifting. Like, yeah. It's just... Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I haven't done it in like maybe three weeks and it's really bumming me out because like lockdown, I can't actually do anything. And so yeah. I'm also afraid that like I'm just running all the time. I'm just going to become like super lean and like have no muscle left. But, you know, we'll see. Hopefully yeah. I don't lose it all. It's over. Yeah. Have you have you read a shoe dog by Phil Knight? No, but I bought it for my dad and he said it was awesome and I should read it. And yeah. I just never got around to it. Yeah, crazy book. And, um, um, you know, when you said you, you run a lot, it just kind of reminded me of that book. Um, Phil Knight and uh, his, um, his colleagues, they used to, their whole thing was that like, you know, when, you, when you're solving a problem, like when you can't really get through certain things or you're just like stressed out, just like go out and run. You know, that was, that was their thing, like together. Um, yeah, I don't run much, but I, I, I appreciate it. But I'm just like, like kind of lazy and like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the gym and just live. That, that's what I thought. I was like super against running, like yeah. I was super against it, but I was just like, was like, I'm not the running type. And then like with lockdown, I was like, you know what? Let me try. And I set myself this challenge where I was like, all right, I'm going to run every day for like a week and just see how I feel. Mm. Um, and, you know, I started at maybe like 55 minutes for the 5k. And then like, you know, eventually I just kept doing it. And then after eight days, and I did 10 runs. So some days I did two runs. I just went really, really hardcore. I just wow. wanted to see. In the 10th day, I managed to get under 40 minutes for a run. And I was like, oh my God, I ran the entire 5Ks. And I was like, so impressed. I was like, wow. I didn't even know I could do this. Um, and so I just realized the entire thing is really mental. Like I, like I look at like what a runner looks like and I was like, I don't look like that. I can't do mm. that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's insane. Um, and I actually have now started thinking about this like rapid... 
seven day challenges as a way to like introduce something to myself. So mm-hmm. next time I want to learn something or do something, I'm going to try and do it as, sh- as quickly as possible. I'm going to really hard for like seven days. Mm. And then if I don't continue, cool. That's like, yeah, it's done. I never really want to do it anyway. Like but if I continue, yeah. then it's like a really good way to like get me into it. Um, mm. Yeah. Like just super hard focused on it for, for, for seven days and see what comes out of it. And if, if you want to continue, yeah. continue, but if nothing comes out of it, at least you've... Uh, yeah, it's a good way to like just get into it. Like, because you know what um, I found? Like the initial hump is really hard, right? People mm-hmm. give up before that initial hump, like before they get over the hump. Yeah. So what I try to do is in that seven days, get over the hump, right? Mm-hmm. And then it becomes easy from there because you're like a lot um, more confident with the entire thing. So I did the same thing with violin recently. Mm-hmm. So I like went really, really hard for seven days. And violin is a really difficult instrument to get like... Mm. okay at because you yeah. just sound like trash at the beginning yeah. and I went super hard and yeah I, I still I've kind of stopped recently because I've been focused on like um, the fundraising but <laughs> like I've been playing pretty consistently and like I'm not amazing but like I can play something and you'll recognize it like that, <laughs> that's okay. I've gotten over that hump which I'm, nice. which I'm pretty happy with so you didn't know how to play at all before and then you just picked it up yeah Damn, that's that's great like how did you like what i did the same thing for drawing as well like i yeah. just like i, I go going through this really like in-depth sprints um and i'll send you a photo later but like you know I, within like a day or two i really wanted to draw a really realistic eye mm. and like it turned out amazing like you just <laughs> i even though i say so myself like i drew such an amazing eye. i couldn't replicate it now but like yeah. I wanted to get over that hump. I wanted to draw something really sick really quickly. Just so I can mm-hmm. be like, okay, I can do it now. Let me like mm-hmm. learn the other basics now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is not what we were like originally talking about, but like, I like that concept of like rapid, like mm-hmm. you're rapidly trying to do something, get over the hump. And if you like it, you'll keep doing it. And if you don't, then yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. That's, that's, that's kind of like the theme of this, uh, uh, theme, theme of our conversation, right? Like, you kind of went from, okay, what can you do to validate an idea, validate an assumption within one hour? And then, you know, the same thing with skills and hobbies, whatever, like just give it a go for seven days straight and see what happens after. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but I feel like I have a very obsessive personality at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it, it, it's beneficial if I use it correctly, it's like a tool. Yeah. And then if I point in the wrong direction, then like, you know, it can be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's super interesting. So violin, I, I, I mean, the, the lingering question I have is like, how did, what kind of resources did you use to learn how to play? Is it YouTube or did you have like a instructor? Mentor? So it was, I'm not gonna lie. It's hundred percent YouTube. Like that's how I learned yeah. violin. Like, yeah. um, yeah, just went on like YouTube videos and then I watched like this series on like, you know, understanding what the parts of the violin were, how to play certain notes. Um, and then from there, like, there's basically ways to, like, there's, like, Guitar Hero, but for, like, violin, basically, where, like, mm-hmm. essentially, you don't learn the notes. You just, like, you see the notes fly up and, like, you press certain fingerings. Um, so it'll tell you, like, okay, second string, like, second finger, and, like, you just play it like that. Um, so there's YouTube videos that, like, play alongs like that. And um, the first few songs I learned, like, were not, uh, I didn't learn any of the notes. I just learned how to, like, play it mm-hmm. um, based on that. And that was the way that I got over the hump, right? Like for me, it's really difficult if I'm trying to learn all these notes and it becomes really like annoying and boring. But if I can get 
So my first goal was actually to play Pirates of the Caribbean theme as quickly as possible, right? (laughs) And I played it within like the first hour of learning how to play the violin. And that was enough Mm. motivation for me to like, okay, cool. I want to play tomorrow and the day after Mm. um, because I can play something now, right? Um, And then I had another goal, like playing a different song. And then like, um, it's almost like project-based learning, but for like Mm. skills. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting because actors actually get paid to learn different skills, right? Super fast, right? Like playing boxing or like different music instruments and all that stuff. Um, yeah, just like that idea that you can just like, you're reinventing yourself constantly. And then, you know, like you master a skill, skill sets and then you move on to the next thing and then you do the same thing all over again. Um, so I've been really curious with this idea because I did something similar in uni where um, I got a job as a web developer with zero experience in web development. And then I had yeah. to learn how to become a web developer before I started the job, right? Um, so I, I kind of BS my way in and then had to learn to like not get fired. And yeah. I, I managed to thrive under that condition. And so I was like, yeah, what if I do this for the violin where I just went to someone like, I will play for your wedding, <laughs> pay me a thousand dollars. And then I, I get paid a thousand dollars to learn the violin. <laughs> and then I either fail or crumble, right? Yeah. And like, there's a fire under my ass to learn. Yeah. Um, and I think there's like some sort of way to like, you know, hack that a little bit. It could be interesting. Man, I feel like you could, um, you could you could teach that type of concept, you know, like that could that could be part of your entry level. <laughs> get get paid to learn, like exactly. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, you need um, it, it needs to be you need the fire, so you need the risk of like someone hating your guts for not doing yeah. it. But at the same time, you also don't want to ruin someone else's life. Like, I wouldn't exactly. do that for someone's wedding. Like, yeah, especially if like I'm like cutting it really close. So like the day yeah. before, I'm like, you know what, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that sucks. So, um, yeah. yeah, there has to be a way to like hack this a little bit. Um, there's also like other accountability things I've heard where I think it was Tim Ferriss. He was like, if I don't do this in a month, um, transfer a thousand dollars of my money to this, to the, like a charity I hate or like to an organization I hate. Yeah. Um, and I think it was like this super racist organization that like the money was going to go to if you didn't succeed. Damn. So it was like a way for him to like really be motivated and stay accountable to something else. Yeah. Um, like externalizing that accountability is super powerful because internal accountability is like really tough. Um, not many people have the internal drives to do things. That's so, so true. Yeah. Yeah. Like the internal drive, it, 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 it dies so quickly too. Right. And it's just like so easy to just justify like, yeah, you know, just whatever, move on to the next thing. Yeah. No one needs to know. Like, you know, I tried to play violin and didn't work out. All right, cool. No one, yeah. no one knew that. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I made a very public effort to be like, I'm going to learn the violin and I made a big deal out of it. And now I was like, damn, everyone's going to yell, like, everyone's going to mock me if I don't do it now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, talk about your relationship a little bit. Like, how did you, I guess that's one thing that I, uh, like a lot of founders, um, like when I see like my founder friends and everything, it's like either they're already in a relationship or, you know, like it's pretty tough, you know, to, to maintain one because like that consumes all of your life. Like, um, yeah, what is that? What has that looked like for you? So I've been with the same woman for eight years, mm-hmm. more than that. Um, so we've been together right after high school. So like you know, high school sweethearts almost. Um, that's been awesome. I think from like this is a bad way of putting it but like it's just like an aspect of my life that doesn't stress me out because i don't need to worry about it right Mm. like 
everything else in my life is so like flexible and fluid and could fall apart at any moment. Yeah. But I have like a really like solid structure, mm. you know, in a partner in a relationship that's been super helpful. Mm. Um, so I think that's one of the most powerful parts about like just having that long-term stability. Like I know she's not going to go anywhere and like, and she knows I'm not going to go anywhere. So that's mm. been super helpful. And obviously we've had ups and downs um, and the startup stuff has definitely impacted our relationship in negative ways at times, right? Where, mm. you know, there'll be some weeks where I don't have time to talk to her or, um, you know, I, I traveled to Singapore, right, for for startups. Yeah. And we had to do long distance for two years. And, like, that was really rough. Wow. Like, I don't think I could ever do long distance again. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think um, it, it's it's definitely a tough being a founder and, like, and, and having a relationship. I think a lot of founders have similar issues. And I, I think, um, I can't remember, like, a, a year or two ago, my partner sent me an article about, like, um, someone who was dating an entrepreneur and like her experience of like from that lens. And I thought that was really interesting. I might try and dig up the article later and send it to you, but yeah, it was interesting hearing that perspective of things, like how it's like to date an entrepreneur and like what it, like what it means for them. Mm. Um, but I think overall net positive, like I'm so glad that I had someone there to like share the wins and the losses and like, mm. um, you know, the journey is really tough, right? So like having someone there is, is super helpful, like whether yeah. it be through a partner or like really close friends who are like not going to judge you and like um, they can be very honest with. Yeah. Um, that's super important. Mm. Yeah. Nah, yeah. No, every, everything you said, uh, very, I, I resonate with that a lot. And um, yeah, for me, just having a, having a business just business part of my co-founder it's just like huge like I'm, i i don't think i can do this alone definitely um but yeah yeah i i think that's 100 percent true i think if i didn't have a co-founder and also didn't have a partner i'd probably lose my brain like yeah. the only reason i can be a solo founder is because i have a partner i think if i didn't have a partner that'd be a very very lonely journey mm. um going through it so like you need mm. some support network yeah um, to, to help you get through it. Mm. Do you, do you talk to your partner about, uh, about like the details of what you're going through with your startup? Like to what extent do you guys talk about it? Yeah, I'm pretty transparent with her. Like yeah. I'll, I'll vent to her, I'll, like talk about problems or like talk about the wins and like, um, yeah, I, I think I tell him, I think I tell him a lot of things that I don't tell anyone else because it's easier. Cause like she has like, she's not involved. Like, you know, she's not going to come in and like say anything to an investor or like anything like that. I can say whatever I want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm pretty honest with her about those things, but the, the tough parts at times is like, she won't understand the context of certain things, right? Like I'll say something. I'm like, yeah, we had a great NPS call today. She's like, all right, I don't know what that is. But yeah. Cool. <laughs> like, so, um, I think that's been the tough part. I think I was telling her today that like, there are certain things I wanted to like talk to someone about, like bounce ideas off, but like, she wouldn't understand it. And then I don't have a co-founder to bounce like this kind mm. of level of stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't seem investor appropriate or like mm. team appropriate. So it's like, I'm just like talk to the mirror basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is my current strategy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Any so, problems- so one thing I do, yeah. um, sorry, like on that note of like relationships and mm-hmm. support. So one thing I, I really like is um, someone wrote an article called the elephants. I think it was Nick Crocker. Um, I think he's from the Blackbird team. He wrote an article called the elephants, which is like a support network that he has. So every 
week, he'll like give updates to this group of people. So it'll be three other people. Um, and he'll be like, yeah, these are my goals for the quarter. These are my goals for the year and like so on and so forth. And every week they meet up, they track how they're going with goals and they talk about what is the, um, you know, how they felt about the week, like what they felt about different things, pros, cons, that kind of stuff. I've taken that and adapted it. So I have three friends that I meet with every Sunday. Yep. We review our goals. We review how we felt, um, mm-hmm. what are the low lights of the week, anything we want to discuss really. And that's been a really, really powerful framework for us um, as a group of four. And um, that's been super helpful. Mm-hmm. So um, we started that beginning of 2021 and we've been going every week since. Yeah. Um, and that's been a really powerful way of like grounding yourself and like making sure you're actually adhering to what you said you were going to do. Um, gives you like a platform to vent about anything really. Like, you know, yeah. when we say low lights, like, we talk about everything from like relationships to like work. And so that's an interesting article. If you have show notes or anything for this pod, like uh, I'll send you that link. It's definitely yeah. worth reading. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a that's a super interesting concept because um, I guess it's just uh, it, it's it's too easy to just kind of brush things off and not really like fully, I guess, go through your emotions because like I, I think I think it's good to really go through the process of completion, right? If you will, it's like I, I think just by something's so, you know you experience certain certain things and then just by just by venting, just by talking about it, it just it just helps you really. I guess process it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I guess, I guess what you do have is kind of like a mastermind type of stuff, right? With your friends. Yeah. 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 So that, that's a really good framework that I've found helpful. Um, Mm. and we've been doing it like consistently every week. It takes Mm. time, but I also think it's like an important aspect. It's like debriefing on the week Mm. or like, you know, de-stressing and just like removing everything. So you can just start the next week on Monday, like perfectly fine. Right. So you just do that over like lunch or something. Yeah, so it's been online recently just because okay. like um like we're remote now and like you know we're in different states, so it's yeah. like just a Zoom call. Um but for the most part, like we've got it to like, you know, we'll go on a walk independently and just like hop on a group call and we'll start mm. to talk about it. Mm. Um yeah. I like that. It'll just be like this basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's dope. Um any productivity tips um or just like any, I guess, tips to uh, amp up the vibe, you know, for, 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 for people who are like going through, you know, ups and downs and everything, especially founders, you know? So I I think my first tip is just like ignore productivity porn. I think too many people are trying to like just amp out every single hour and like, you know, Mm -hmm. make the most of everything. And just like to the detriment of most people, to be honest, like, Mm -hmm. um, if you're just like busy looking at how productive, like productive someone else is, and you're like beating yourself up over it and like, you know, burnout's a thing. Um, I think one, like, just ignore that. I think trying to crank out, like, uh, you know, someone asked me in a panel, like, actually, this comes up a lot. They're like, what's your tip for, like, reading faster or, like, being more efficient with consuming information? I'm like, who cares, man? Like, you could be 30% faster in reading, but do you really care? Like, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> just chill out. <laughs> like, um, and so that's my first tip. Just, like, ignore it and then the second one and like i think less is more like realistically Mm. um just trying to do less um and and you know if you're gonna do i'd rather do four hours of really deep productive work than like eight hours of really distracted like here and there work Mm. realistically yeah um 
So I think that's it. And then like, I, I think I do do some like actual productivity stuff. Like I do time audits at the end of the week. So I just like consider like, oh, this is where I spend my time. Like this is what happened. Can I make a change for next week? Sure. Like, wait, no, let's, let's try and do this. So I, I like my calendar replicates exactly what I did for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much in planning the week out, but more just like retrospectively I'll update it like at the end of the day and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's been, that's been helpful. Gotcha. I see. Um, yeah. What are your, what are your tips for, I guess, um, I guess students, especially going through this, like the, these changing times it's, um, I guess, because when I ask you that question, I think of myself like back in 2008, 2009, subprime mortgage crisis, like things were shifting very rapidly. And then you're just like, okay, I'm graduating. I'm trying to look for a job, but then like, what do I do? How do I navigate? And things can be very, very uncertain and kind of thorny, right? Um, so yeah, for, for, for people that are just still trying to find like what they're really, um, I guess, excited about, um, what would you have to say to them? So there's, there's like one more, I have like one piece of philosophical advice. And then the other one is like very practical. Like this is what I do right now. Hmm. Um, the practical advice is there's a lot of seed stage companies, a lot of early stage companies getting funded. Like what we Hmm. saw in 2020 is like, you know, whilst a lot of companies like gold people, we had heaps of venture capital funding just fly into the market. Like people, like companies getting funded left, right and center. Hmm. Um, but a lot of people are scared of early stage companies because of job security. They've probably lost their job and now they're, they're scared, right? And so everyone is kind of go for like the Facebooks, the Googles, all that kind of stuff. So you have more and more people fighting over less and less jobs at these bigger companies. And you have less and less people fighting over more and more jobs in the early stage companies. And so mm. my practical advice is go find early stage companies and go work for them. Like go mm. where people aren't looking, which is that space. Mm. And you know, Stephen can probably tell you, like, it's been tough hiring early stage people because, like, you know, half of the conversations that I have is I find the perfect person. They're like, oh, dude, I just got married and, like, I got to pay a mortgage. And I'm like, bro, I have two years funding. Like, you're not going to lose a job. And they're yeah. like, nah, it's too risky for me, man. And, like, that's so frustrating. And so, like, I think just look in, look in places where people aren't looking, which is, yeah. like, I think earlier stage, that's practical advice. But in general, like, look at places, look at spaces and things like that where you see opportunity where not a lot of people are flocking to. Mm-hmm. Um, then from a philosophical level, it's fine not to know what you want to do. Like, I think you don't even know, need to know what you need, like, do. So you can, like, be confused at the age of 40, and that's totally fine. Like, I don't yeah. think, I think having it figured out is, like, not the point. Um, I think your twenties are just like pure exploration. Um, and just like, you know, try different things, throw darts and like even your thirties, to be honest, you should be throwing darts and just seeing what works. Like Mm -hmm. as long as you're happy with the process, like who really cares? Like realistically, a lot of the people I talk to who are like, Oh man, I should have a house by this age and I should do this by this age. Like they just, I like, I ask them next questions. Like who are you trying to show off to? Who are you trying to appease? Like your parents, your like friends. Um, as long as you're happy with the process. And I think like I've had this conversation with my parents so many times where they're just like, Oh, have you thought about buying a house? Have you thought about doing this? And then now it's just become like, cool. As long as you're happy, like with what you're doing and you don't really mind, like that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and so be okay with exploration. A really good book to check out is called range by David Epstein. It's about, um, how generalists succeed in the end. 
So what you find is there's two types of people. There's generalists who are like do a lot of different things. You know, specialists who are like specialize in a certain vertical, and um, specialists will outperform generalists at the start. Unfortunately, that's just the case. So you probably mm-hmm. noticed that like you did business right yeah. um, in university. So mm-hmm. you're like your IB friends and things like that probably did way better than you really early on, right? Yeah. Um, and they're earning way more money than you. Same with yeah. my engineering friends. Like naturally, specialists will just do better. Yeah. But they'll taper off. And in the end, generalists will do better because all the all the CEOs, all the managers, and all that kind of stuff are all generalists, right? You kind of mm-hmm. specialists doing those things. Yeah. Um, and so there's a whole book. If you're ever worried about being a generalist and the fact that you may not have a job because you're too generalist, read that book. It definitely gave me a lot of like um, confidence in my own ability and also reassured me, to be honest. So, um, yeah, really good book to read. Mm. Awesome. That's uh, I, I love that vibe. Um, never, never heard about that. And also, I'll, like in my twenties, I was always thinking, it's like, why are my friends like so much more? I guess, I guess, certain with their path, and you know, they're ready ahead financially or whatever like you know just like in life and like i'm just still trying to figure myself out but um yeah you you, you help contextualize that that, that vibe a little bit i like that yeah and i think we need that reassurance to be honest mm-hmm. like i hit the same point where i was just like sitting there and i'm like man done all these companies and i have like nothing to show for it i thought i had more <laughs> money i thought i'd have more everything really and i didn't and then i have like friends who like um you know, transparently had more money than me and we're just working normal jobs. And I was like, man, like, what have I been doing? And then I just remember that, like, um, you know, I, th- I think we're just biding our times. And also, like, one, I think it's bad to compare. I think that's, like, a bad framework in general. But also, like, uh, you know, as a generalist, like, you have time and you build a robust set of skills. I think one of the things I have over, like, the specialists who earn more money than me is the fact that I'm more flexible and I can add value in any position that I get hired for. So I'm not too worried about who's going to hire me. I think that will happen. Um, and also, I think I can add value in a higher position as well, just because I have that broad skill set. Mm. Um, so that, that's how I've reassured myself. And that's how I sleep at night, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that, was, that, was, that, was, uh, that was very, very timely. And I think, I think a lot of people definitely resonate with that as well. Um, yeah, any, uh, I guess... Any, any parting thoughts um, to viewers, listeners? Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like this could very easily be a three-hour Joe yeah. talk, like if we, if we let it go. So yeah, I think exactly. it's probably good that we like, yeah. <laughs> figure out what the parting thoughts are. Yeah. Um, I think the parting thoughts are, uh, one, like there's, there's two. One is the fact that like you have time, like you can explore and it's totally fine. And if you don't know what you want to do, also fine. Like, I think you don't need to rush to make a decision. Mm. Um, and also it's like transient, right? Like just because you find your purpose in life at 25 does not mean that's going to be a purpose at life at 35. I think that's just like really difficult. Like no one has like a purpose in life. You have a very transient, like different interests at different times. That's cool. Um, and then the other thing just from like a start, if you're an entrepreneur or like a founder, um, I really like that framework of like, how can you make your 10 year goal happen tomorrow? Or like, you know, your 30 day plan or one year plan for your startup. Like how do you do that in one hour? Um, that's a really powerful framework. And I mm-hmm. think if, if right after listening to this, like, and you, you have a goal on your desk or like a sticky note, that's like, cool. We want to hit product market fit in three months. Right. Mm-hmm. Talking to you, Steven, like if you want to hit like certain sales in three months, you just got to like be like, cool. All right. I'm going to have make this happen in the hour right after listening to this. Yeah. Um, that's my parting thought. <laughs> 
Man, no, that's super dope. Um, always inspirational. Always learn a ton of stuff from you. I, I wish I had someone like you in my in my twenties when I was trying to figure out what what the heck I'm, I'm going to do in my life when I was in New York back in the day. But uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I guess uh, we'll 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 catch up soon again. Yeah, um, thanks for having me, man. This was really fun. I really enjoyed this. Cool, awesome. Thanks, dude. Hey, thanks for tuning into the Stephen Choi Show. To help amplify the stories of these legendary people, don't forget to give the show five stars. And one more thing, it would mean the world to me if you could give me your feedback on the show and how I could make it better. Thank you so much for your love and support. Keep calm and vibe on.